Welcome back to Customers Who Click. We're back with email marketing again this week, but this time we're diving into deliverability and inbox placement, two of the most important things you need to be considering if your email marketing is going to be effective. My guest today is Adrian Savage, an email marketing consultant and the founder of Deliverability Dashboard. He specializes in making sure that your emails actually reach your recipients, and he's sharing his top tips with us today. If you've got any interest in email marketing at all, this is a fantastic episode to listen to. Let's get Adrian on now to explain why. Hi, Adrian. Thanks for joining me today. Could you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and uh, kind of how you've got to where you are today? Hi, Will. Thanks. It's great great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So I guess I've, I've been a geek since I was about seven years old. My dad brought home one of those original Apple II computers um, that's, that are in the museum these days. Um, and seven-year-old Adrian read the manual and taught dad to t- Talked Dad how to use it before he threw it out of the window, pretty much. So I've been a geek ever since then, which is like 40-odd years ago. Um, and did the usual thing, went to school, went to university, um, did a computing degree, surprise, surprise. And when I escaped from the corporate world 10 years ago, I suddenly learned about this big, bad world of marketing. And... I was one of the few people on the various training courses and masterminds and things like that that I was in who wasn't getting terrified of the technology. So it was fairly natural that I'd become a marketing automation consultant. So I worked with things like Infusionsoft and Active Campaign over the years. And one of the things I very quickly found was that people were having problems getting their emails delivered. They were finding that they were sending emails and they were going into the spam folder. Um, you know, back in the, the bad old days of about probably about eight years ago, there were times when emails were were just disappearing they weren't even making it into the spam and while I did lose a few clients in the early days while I was learning how all this stuff worked luckily I started to find ways of getting around this problem and although it took me a while before I kind of woke up and smelled the coffee I finally decided two or three years ago that I was going to focus just on email deliverability all I was going to do was help people avoid the spam folder massively improve their open rates because there's not much competition Um, I love doing it and it's a great way to help people get their message out there better. So that's kind of how I've got to where I am today, I guess. Awesome. Yeah, sounds really good. Uh, I remember the first computer we had, can't remember the exact model, but it was, it was an Amiga. So it used those larger floppy disks as well, not the three and a half inch, which was the, I think the one that everyone remembers. It yeah, was the, the, big, the big ones that were proper proper floppy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, remember those. remember having to do God, every, everything off those. We mainly used it for, for gaming. That's the only reason. Oh, it was a good, good, good machine for that. I remember the, you know, yeah, lots of, lots of, lots of memories of of, of dodgy games with dodgy graphics and things like that. So, that yeah, was, I, I learned the hard way that I suck at computer games. So I've kind of given them a wide berth ever since. But it was a good way of wasting many years of a misspent youth for sure. Uh, it definitely got me and my brothers into gaming pretty much for the rest of our lives. You know, I, cool. not so much for me, but. Um, yeah, my, my older brother definitely, and uh, even younger brother, consoles as well. Um, we'd we'd get not every new console, but we had yeah, quite quite a few of them over the years. Yeah, and that, that can become a very expensive hobby, right? Yeah, yeah, especially when you're a kid and it's not your money. It's a no. very very expensive uh, yeah hobby for your parents. Yeah, it's going to become very popular to your parents, definitely. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about avoiding the spam folder then, and uh, you know, improving open rates and things. So you mentioned you're, you're focusing on that as opposed to what would you say? Because I imagine in my head, I'm thinking a lot of what you're going to say is what I'd consider the general piece of marketing automation anyway. But yeah, 
Yeah, I, I guess the thing is, there's a lot of people out there that focus on how to get your message out there, how to build funnels, how to do you know all of that stuff. And that is really, really important. But the thing I found is it doesn't matter how good the emails are that you write if they're not being seen by people. And, you know, there was always that little bit of background where there were always people having problems getting getting things through. And I realized there weren't many people that know about this stuff already. So I started to really dig into it and understand, well, what are what are the most important things? And what I've found is that the world has changed so much in recent years that people haven't necessarily caught up. Because if you go back a few years, it was nice and easy. You could just build the biggest email list that you could. And then, you know, you know tens, hundreds of thousands of people on there. And then you just literally mail the hell out of it until people either buy, die or unsubscribe. And that was the old way of doing it. And it was nice and easy. And there's still some old school marketers that do that today. But what I realized was, unless I can start showing people how much the world has changed and how you how you actually really do need to wake up and understand what to do differently now, then email is going to go downhill because there's so much um, you know, so much of opinion out there that email is dead and that you know you've got to use social media or video or, or whatever. Um, but the thing is, email is still there, and I'm really passionate about helping people make sure they can make the very most out of it. I'm not saying, you know, I'm certainly not talking down any of the alternatives because the best thing is always to have lots of different ways of getting to your audience. But the more you can just understand that there's some very, there's a a few very simple but very important things you can do. Um, And if you bear all that in mind, then you're going to reach the point where you can potentially double your open rates. And if you're you're doing all the right things, you can maybe get open rates as high as 40% or more. Um, And you can really minimize the risks that the emails that you send out are going to go to the spam folder because the thing is people still think it's just down to either the email platform they're using or the wording in their email or something like that but there's a bit more to it than that and that's obviously what we're going to talk about today yeah i think um i've, I've worked with email for what well, pretty much my whole my whole career i remember working with return path probably about 10 years ago now and you know i obviously i, I was that was the start of my career Right, so mm-hmm. that that was quite new to me, but I, I picked it up, understood it, understood what they were talking about, all made sense to me. But there were other people, people who've been doing email marketing for yeah, probably 10, 15 years. Yeah, in kind of actual e-commercey kind of space, um, and just it just didn't make sense to them. They they didn't understand it. They were the sort who would just send out an email to the million people on your list, and that was it. And then when we you know it was explained to us that you know. If you've got 400,000 people on that list who never open your email, that's not a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really bad thing. And it's I imagine it's even worse now with the improvements that the ESPs make. You know, they now understand that behavior even better. And so they understand even more that those 400,000 people that you're sending to but never open, like that's that's not good behavior. Yeah, so, um, very much so. But yeah, so let's go into... Um, what was your process? How do you um, yeah? How do you approach this? Okay, so I've broken the whole area of email deliverability down into four key areas um, and created a framework around it that I call the RACE framework. And RACE actually stands for something. It stands for the four things. We've got R for reputation. We've got A for authentication. We've got C for content. And we've got E for engagement. And within each of those areas, there's specific things that really matter. And as with anything, 
I could talk about each of those bits for days on end, but it's really about focusing on the most important aspects of each of the, each of the race model. Because if you focus on the most important bits first, if you pick the low-hanging fruit, then you'll find that even just doing a few of the simple things, you're going to start transforming your performance. So it's really, really important just to work. You know, in in, in some cases. Is just something you've got to do once. In other cases, it's a bit more of a mindset shift and things like that. So, so we'll, we'll go through that as we as we dig into it. Do you want me to go down into the detail now, or is there anything else that you want to look at before I kind of get into the detail? No, let's just start. Let's start with R. And, okay, uh, brilliant. Yeah. So, if we start with reputation, then it kind of makes sense. If you're sending out emails and you've got a poor reputation, you're probably going to end up in the spam folder for some reason. Because what's happened over the years is, firstly, the the email world has changed to the point where um, as much as three quarters or maybe even 90% of a typical email list are dominated by three players. We've got Google that often, um, they, they will, more than half of someone's email list might well be going to people with Google mailboxes, either using Gmail or Google Workspace or something like that. Um, then you've got another 10, 15% that might be on Microsoft, which is either Hotmail, Outlook.com, or maybe Microsoft 365. And then Yahoo is still in there with another maybe 10%. And Yahoo still own AOL. AOL is actually still a thing out there. There's still plenty Do of AOL. They, didn't, know, didn't AOL get sold recently? Um, if they have, then I, 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 I will need to double check that. Um, I, think, I think it was in the last week or two. So that, say, could be, okay. that could be very interesting. Um, so let me just have a look. Um, there we go. So, oh, no, there we go. So what's just happened is, so Yahoo got bought by Verizon, who also bought AOL. Um, so Verizon, it looks like, have now sold the Verizon media part of it, which includes Yahoo and AOL. Uh, just Yahoo and AOL, okay. Um, so essentially, even though the name might change, then it's still going to be Yahoo and AOL. So... Yep. I don't expect to see any immediate um, impact from an email deliverability point of view because to start with, it'll be the same people running the same servers yeah. and so on. It could well be, though, that they actually invest a little bit more in, in making changes and things like that. So it'll be, you know, as, as, we, as with anything, then, you know, there's, there's, always, there's always things changing. But we've got these three key players, and they've all got slightly different rules of their own. This is one challenge that we face. Um, but they all manage reputation in a slightly different way but effectively they're just keeping a little dossier and they're watching everyone they're watching every email sender out there and the bigger your email list then obviously the more likely it is that they'll be keeping an eye on you so if you've got a list of 500 people then maybe google won't pay you that much attention they'll just let things through if you've got a list of a hundred thousand people then google will certainly be watching you at that point and they'll be seeing every single email blast that you send out and they'll be seeing who's opening them who's not opening them what's the behavior that kind of thing and if you do anything that's a little bit too crazy then that's what's going to affect your reputation because the reputation comes from two different places the first one which doesn't have a huge impact anymore is the server reputation or the ip address reputation and this is based on the email platform you're using whether it's active campaign hubspot mailchimp keep something like that um, or it might be you're, you're sending an individual mail from gmail or microsoft or whatever um, and the good news is in this day and age, the majority of email platforms out there all have a consistently good reputation. So I often get asked, am I going to get better email performance if I switch from Active Campaign to Keep or from MailChimp to Active Campaign or something like that? And the good news these days is 
it's unlikely to have that much of an impact. I would never recommend switching platforms just to get better email performance because a lot of it is based on what you actually do. And the best analogy that I, I use for that is if someone's trying to keep fit and they're going to the gym. If you switch from one gym to another and keep doing the same exercises, you're not going to get any fitter. And the same is true if you switch email platforms. Unless you fundamentally change what you're doing, that's what's going to have the impact. And that's where we switch from the IP reputation to the domain reputation, which is all about what you are doing as a sender and they're just looking at all the emails that come from your email domain and that's the bit that matters the most okay so i get the point about not switching between providers Mm -hmm. however i think there's a big thing about should you use a shared ip through that provider or have a dedicated ip is is that kind of same thing um the the dedicated ip doesn't help that much anymore It's a really good question. If your volume is high enough, a dedicated IP is likely to be a good thing as long as you are being sensible. If you're not sending many emails, then the problem with a dedicated IP address is it doesn't, you're not sending enough to appear on anyone's radar. So you will always get treated with a, with, you know, a a neutral level of contempt, shall we call it. It's only if you build things up. So you need to be sending tens, if not hundreds of thousands of emails consistently every single day from this one IP address before it's going to get noticed. Um, and if you're then, and, and as long as you're doing all the good things that I'm going to talk about today, then at that point, having a dedicated IP address is worth it. But unless you've got a really high volume, and most people don't in fairness, then it's very rare that I recommend getting a dedicated IP. And I'm working with a couple of clients at the moment where they they were misinformed by the email provider they were using. They switched to a dedicated IP and they saw their performance go down the pan because exactly that, they weren't sending enough. And also, unfortunately, they were adopting a few not so great practices as they were sending out their emails. So that was actually hurting them rather than helping. So you do need to be very careful there because if you do just send from the one ip address and you're doing bad things or your volume isn't great enough then it's not going to help and it might make things worse so in general i would still err on the side of caution and say use use a a share use a shared ip pool that most email providers use because they're getting cleverer at how they manage this Um, i often um, i single out keep uh, formerly infusionsoft as a good example of this because they will choose different ip addresses and different servers based on how recently each contact is engaged so they're protecting the good senders from the bad by making sure that the people who are looking after their list gets the emails get sent from a good place the people who aren't looking after their list the emails are more likely to get sent from a bad place so there are things like that to take into account but even if there isn't anything clever like that then it means that the 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 shared ip addresses mean that you're going off the average performance of all the people that use them and to be really fair all of the email marketing providers out there have a have very strict rules to try their hardest to stop letting spam get through and to stop people getting complaints and IP addresses getting on block lists and things like that. So, you know, there is always a small element of risk with a shared server because obviously you know you're you're only as good as the as the average of the people using it but in most cases it's still pretty good so my recommendation on the whole would be stick with um, a shared pool of ip addresses unless you've got a very specific niche that you need to send from or if it is a particular high volume that you're using cool. yeah fair enough makes sense so 
How do you build reputation? So reputation is based on a number of things. First off, as I said, this is mainly based on everything you're sending from your domain. That's the most important thing. So in my case, I send from deliverability-dashboard.com. So whether it's my support address or a marketing address or a personal address, everything that I send contributes to that domain reputation. Um, if you use a subdomain, sometimes that will get split out a bit. Some people will use a, a subdomain for marketing and another one for sales and another one for, for general stuff but Google in particular they're clever enough to join the dots and if one subdomain gets a little bit hurt with reputation then the others might as well so I don't see that much of a benefit at this stage of separating things out. Does that mean kind of equally vice versa if everything's doing really well and then suddenly you add sales at not sales at um, add a sales subdomain or a marketing subdomain Google would then say well I, I can see this is part of the same company so the rest of the company is performing well, so there's no need to penalise this. Yeah, absolutely. So it should. I mean, when when you start sending from any new domain or subdomain, then you kind of start out with a neutral reputation, and then you know they will give you a little bit of a chance to prove that you're okay. And if you're sending from a subdomain of an existing one, then you will kind of inherit the whatever it was at to start with. But then they will also look at how how it performs over the next you know few weeks and months and so on. But then once you once you've done that, it is a case of pretty much being sensible because as well as each you know of the Googles and the Microsofts and the Yahoo's of this world, then there's also third parties, you know, there's things like Spam House and you know various other reputation monitoring companies out there. And they still have a level of influence once you get outside the big three mailbox providers because there's things called block lists that you've got to look out for. And if you do anything too crazy, then you will end up listed on a block list. <clears throat> and I'll talk about what you can do in a second. The thing to mention is that Google, Microsoft and Yahoo don't actually pay attention to external block lists anymore. So if you get listed on something like the Spam House block list or Sorbs or one of these others, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to end up in Google jail. But if you've done something something crazy enough to end up on a block list somewhere else, then I'll bet a lot of money that Google will probably have noticed as well and you'll have taken a hit with, with, with the Google reputation. So, so it's always worth monitoring these block lists just in case because that's a good kind of canary in the coal mine that will tell you something's gone wrong. Yeah, I don't know if this really happens that much, but can someone kind of maliciously put you on there? So target you to get you onto those block uh, potentially they, they they could and the good news is this doesn't happen very often it's a bit like the old UK crime watch program where they always said at the end of it don't have nightmares I don't want to scare people into thinking there's lots of terrible things that can happen because you know, it's very rare but occasionally it could be that someone will maliciously um, add some bad email addresses onto someone's mailing list and they could then end up triggering various spam traps and things like that that I'll talk about in a second. So there is a chance of that, but fortunately it is very, very rare. Um, you know, the main main reason that people end up on block lists is just because they have done something a bit silly like either you know scraping email addresses off the internet or buying a mailing list or not mailing their list for six months and then suddenly starting to send loads of emails and all kinds of things like that because... The main, the main way that you end up on a block list is if you trigger what's known as a spam trap. And that's just an email address that either, you know, it may have been a valid one in the past if it's a recycled spam trap, or it may have never been used for legitimate purposes in the past if it's a pristine spam trap. 
But then the idea, if it's a pristine spam trap, then you know, Spam House and other people will just publish these email addresses on the internet, knowing that the bad guys and the bad girls are going to download those addresses and start mailing them. And if you send an email to a pristine spam trap address, you're going to end up on a block list pretty quickly. And I know that you know all of the mailbox providers also run their own pristine spam traps. They just don't share the info about them. Um, so that's something that I would never recommend. You know, don't don't scrape email addresses ever. And if you're going to buy a list, I would be really really careful because unless you can be sure that they've they've built it up in a legitimate way then you might be causing problems for yourself and then there's recycled spam traps and what they are is they are email addresses that once were legitimate but they have been mailboxes that were cancelled so if we go back 11 or 12 years i had a hotmail account Uh, i cancelled it and moved over to gmail and as soon as i cancelled that account if someone had sent me an email they'd have received a bounce error saying this mailbox doesn't exist then maybe three months later microsoft will have switched that email address back on but it wasn't going to me anymore it was there to catch people out who weren't who weren't managing the health of their email list properly because in an ideal world you're going to mail people at least once a month and these days i'd recommend weekly we'll talk about that later um and obviously every time you send an email if an address stops working then the bounce will get received by your email marketing provider and they will unsubscribe that contact so as long as you're mailing people regularly as soon as the email address stops existing then it should then it should get cleaned and taken off your list automatically but if you haven't mailed anyone for four months say and that email address ceased to exist but then all the bounce messages stopped and they opened it back up as a spam trap, you have got that risk that you're going to hit a spam trap. So it's very important to mail your contacts regularly. And if you've left it that long, then there is something called a list scrubbing tool that you can use, and that will help you identify some of these spam traps. And you know, different, different. there's lots of different tools out there, and it's one of these cases where you get what you pay for. There's some very cheap ones, there's some very expensive ones, um, and you want to look for ones that identify all of the different types of spam traps and various other things. And bear in mind, though, it is always a kind of best guess service. They can't be 100% accurate because no spam trap provider will ever share their data. So it's based on lots of very clever secret algorithms that they won't tell anybody, particularly me. Um, But I've seen a high level of accuracy. When I've run um, my client's data through various different list scrubbing platforms, some of them get very, very good um, results. And I haven't seen cases where where people end up on, on the block list after they scrub their list. So it's an important thing to do on a periodic basis just to make sure that there's no nasties getting in there. Have you got any any recommendations? Yeah, the one that I tend to use is Clean13, which is spelt with a K, um, because I've actually, f- firstly, a lot of the different email marketing platforms recommend that because they've, they've found that that helps them keep their noses clean. And secondly, that's the one that I've been able to integrate into my deliverability dashboard software. So it's very simple. Click a button. It will go away, scrub the list, and then it tags all your contacts to say, here's the bad ones, here's the good ones. So that's one of them out there. I know there's others as well, but Clean13 is the one that I've tended to have the best results with. So that's the one that I will normally pick out. Okay, cool, great. Um, anything more on uh, reputation? Because 
I'm aware that we've we've already been running a little while and we've got three more pillars yeah, to go through. Absolutely. So. so that's probably that's probably the second most detailed one. So we we can go in we we can kind of speed up over the next few bits. I think those those are the most important bits. Um, if I just have a quick ponder through, then I've pretty much mentioned everything that matters there. So if we go on to the A for authentication, we can cover this quite quickly um, because authentication is doing the thing that differentiates you from the spammers. That's the most important thing because all. Authentication is about either digitally signing every email that you send or it's about telling the world what to do when they receive emails from you from a certain place. So let's start with digitally signing because this is really, really important. This is effectively, it's it's every time you send an email out, then you're putting um, an encrypted key in there and they compare that key with something you've published on your domain record. And as long as the two match, then it gets verified as, as legitimate. Because the thing a lot of people forget is that you can actually send emails from anyone in the world. You can put any address you want into the sending field when you're using an email marketing platform. We could use you know Joe Biden at whitehouse.gov if we wanted. Um, but we couldn't sign our emails digitally because we don't have access to the White House's domain. So as long as you're doing all that, then that's what's giving you an, an, uh, an air, a degree of legitimacy that your emails are really from you um, because the spammers can't do that. They don't have control of your domain. I think um, a, w- a way that a lot of people try and identify spam emails is, you know, the sender name will say, uh, I don't know, Amazon or something, yep. and that will look legitimate. Then you open up to see which email address it's from, and you see that it's some. It might be a Hotmail account or a Gmail account um, that obviously someone's got, someone's probably, I guess, hacked and, and got hold of, or it will just be some absolute rubbish, you know, almost like this smash the keyboard, put a domain on it, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. I have been seeing some which are, I guess, the more like blackmailing sort of. Uh, sort of emails where they're saying uh, I need you to do this otherwise I'll do this you can see that I've got access to your account because yeah. they've emailed you from yourself basically yeah, absolutely and the thing there is if you've if you've actually got the authentication set up then you could catch them out and that's the nice thing because the way they send it because that email should be digitally signed but there's there's you know when they send out one of these that is purporting to be from you then I haven't yet seen one of those where they've managed to sign it because they really would have had to hack into your domain yeah. to do that and 99 times out of 100 hopefully even more than that then all they're doing is they're just faking an email from you and they, they can't sign it because let's face it they haven't hacked into your account at all they're just preying on people's fears and things like that yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. so the the thing to search for in in your email marketing platform is, is is known as dkim which stands for domain keys identified mail um, and in some platforms it might be email authentication but it's something that you only have to do once. Once you set it up, then unless you change platforms, then that digital signing is going to work forever. And that's the biggest thing that will make a difference because Google in particular, they are very hot on this as a Microsoft, as a Yahoo. They will treat you with a lot of suspicion if the emails you're sending aren't DKIM signed. Um, one, one provider I'll call out as an example to be careful. Active Campaign, their setting says, 
The, the default is allow active campaign to manage your authentication for you. And then the other option is I will manage my own authentication. Now, the little warning here, folks, is that active campaign are not managing your authentication for you. They're just not doing it. They're only authenticating their server. So really, really important to always turn on that authentication option. And it means you have to go and publish something in your domain. If you're not sure how to do that, then your web person or another professional who understands deliverability can do it for you. But it's the most important one thing you can do that will make a difference between going to the inbox or going to the spam folder because the spammers cannot sign emails only you can do most platforms uh, take take you through this process as part of onboarding they don't. This is the really frustrating thing. I'm not aware of any email platform, certainly the kind of everyday ones that, that the average small to medium business would use, where they even talk about it. It's there hidden away in a help file or something, but they are very bad at doing this as part of an onboarding process. So I'm willing to bet that a lot of people who've been using email marketing for a while, they might still not realize that they can sign their emails. So you know, if you get set up with a, with a good consultant or something like that, they will take you through it. But I've come across so many people where they just haven't done it and it's it, it a crying shame. I suppose when um, the, the biggest big issues are probably where the, it didn't get done initially. A company's been with a platform for a few years. The person who did set it up leaves. Yeah. And the new person doesn't check mm-hmm. because everyone assumes, well, either don't know about it and therefore don't know to check it. Yeah. Or possibly just assume that because you've been using that platform for years, it must have been done. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it is never, it's never that simple. So, you know, definitely check that. And then the other really important method of authentication is what's known as SPF, which stands for Sender Policy Framework. Nothing to do with, with sun cream. This is a very different type of SPF. But if you don't set up SPF, you're going to get burnt. Um, so that's probably the worst joke of the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will not apologize for that though. Um, but SPF really matters because it's it's another record that you publish in your domain and it tells you which email platforms you trust to send emails on your behalf. Um, so the biggest mistake people make is they have more than one SPF record. You must only have one. And in that one line of text that goes onto your domain, it says pretty much, I will trust Active Campaign. Google Workspace and Zendesk to send emails on my behalf. So it's important that you list all of the different email platforms that you send because otherwise there's a risk that it won't be treated um, as, as legitimate email. So SPF again, that's the other type of authentication that you must set up and check that it's set up and it's a one-off. The only time you change it is if you change any of your email platforms. So those are the two key ones and I'll very quickly mention DMARC which stands for Domain-Based Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance which really trips off the tongue. Um, the purpose of DMARC is to tell the world what to do if they received an unauthenticated email from you. So if an email goes out with no DKIM and no SPF match, then you can set you can put a DMARC record that says reject all of these emails and don't let the recipient even see them. They don't even end up in spam at that point. Or you can tell it to quarantine the emails, in which case the suspicious ones will just go to spam. Or you can say none, do nothing, in which case then you know it's it's just whatever Microsoft and Google are feeling so, like. So is that um I set that up, I'll send out my first batch of emails, whatever, and as soon as I've done that, Google, Microsoft, Yahoo have that record to say, if you receive another email from this company that doesn't have this, then reject it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, though, because if you're sending out something saying reject these emails, then there's a whole load of automated reporting that comes with it, and you have to watch those reports because occasionally if some kind of authentication goes wrong and you don't notice, all of your emails are going to go to spam. And you, do, and, yep. and, and you don't know why. So I always insist on setting up DKIM and SPF. DMARC is more of a nice to have unless you've got the time and resources to make sure that it's working all the time. But if you're, if you're getting spoofed, if people are sending out phishing emails from your domain or something like that, DMARC will help you guard against that. Yeah, so maybe, maybe leave it initially, but if you start getting targeted, yeah, absolutely. Um, then uh, yeah. Yeah, but you know, even even having a um, a, a DMARC setting of none, then it gives you a certain extra bit of legitimacy. But in the in the kind of long list of things that will help you get into the inbox, then DMARC is lower down the list than say engagement management that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Cool. Okay, right. So let's quickly cover content. And the reason I say quickly is I could talk for about a year on content uh, and still not run out of things to say because. There is so much to cover, but I'm going to cover probably the, the, the most obvious things very quickly. Um, and the way I get people to remember what's important in content is another acronym. This one is, is WILF, um, which in this case stands for words, images, links, and frequency. Um, so the words is the obvious bit. Um, in the good old days, if you put the word free in an email or if you put the words, you know, Nigeria or something like that, there's various trigger words based, you know, because there's so many different spammy things that used to go out. And the world has changed a bit. Google in particular led the field with this. They invested millions, if not more, in artificial intelligence and natural language interpretation and things like that. So it's not as simple anymore as just avoiding a list of 250 spam phrases. It's about making sure the emails you send are authentic. It doesn't look like you're trying to game the system. It's like, you know, in the bad old days, people would change the word free to become fr.ee and things like that. And they thought that would get them through the spam filters. If you do that now, Google will catch you and they'll slap you in Google jail even quicker. So don't try and game the system. Just make the emails authentic. Keep them as as short as possible within reason. There's no point sending a 20-page sales message by email. Um, don't have lots of crazy bits of punctuation and things like that. Just you know, It needs to look like it's a personal email as much as possible that's come from me to you. Anytime you start putting lots of images like you know, graphical mastheads and things like that are a big no-no because the more images you have in the email, the more likely it is to get treated as a promotion. If you're sending a personal email from Outlook, it's not going to have a big graphic at the top and be all glitzy and brash. It's going to be nice and subtle. But and here, that's why you need to, you know, as much as possible, stick to that format. Yeah, but here, here we're talking about getting to going landing in the promotions box as opposed to deliverability, right? It's a bit of both because sometimes they can actually object to to the to the to the content to that level. If you've got too many images, then you know sometimes that can even trigger spam filters. So a lot of it is around the promotions tab, but you know, deliverability really is about does it land in the inbox or not. And if it goes in the promotions tab rather than the inbox, then a lot of people see that as a deliverability issue still because I know that there's a lot of uncertainty is about whether emails landing in promotions is a good thing or not because they say that most people will look in the promotion if they want a promotion if, if, they, if they're looking for promotions but what I've tended to see with my own emails is if I've managed to um, inadvertently write send out an email that does go to promotions I see my open rates are about five to ten percent lower than if they land in the primary inbox so it can still make a difference well, and this is this is why the you know the, the way the emails are made up you know even even if it's just avoiding the promotions tab it's still very relevant 
but it's it, it's exactly because of what you said. The the idea is that if people want a promotion, they'll go to, and check the promotions tab. Yep. They have to go and do that. Absolutely. Whereas your main inbox, that's the one you open up straight away. Yeah, just by default. So and the, and the thing is, some sometimes the emails I've sent out aren't actually promotions, but I've either you know normally it's some kind of combination of words that's caused Google to think, oh, this is a promotion, and it puts it into the promotions tab. So what's important here? Again, we're not gaming the system, but we're just doing whatever we can to minimise the risk that Google will think it's a promotion. And certainly, images is is one of the big triggers. But having said that. If you're sending out some kind of e-commerce newsletter where you need lots of product photos and things like that, don't suddenly rip them all out in a panic. Just bear in mind that it's minimize the images and keep them as relevant as possible. The one thing that I will always say to remove is get rid of those little social media icons in your email signature because they there's two things there. Firstly, it's lots of images, but secondly, we'll talk about links very quickly. Um, the more links you've got in an email... Sorry, I just, I just want to go back to the image sure. stuff. Yeah, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, I guess um, the point would be, so you see a lot of images, uh, emails, which will have like a whole message in there alongside an image, but actually that is one image. Yeah. Right. So that I'm guessing is bad because if you've got two of those, then a hundred percent of your email is an image. Absolutely. But if you have, if you do the same thing, but have the image of the product next to the product description in text, You've actually cut it down to well, yeah, potentially about fifty percent. That 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 is much better. Although bear in mind that these days Google, bless them, will actually do optical character recognition on that image, and they, if they see that it's a, a textual image, they will convert it to text and they will treat it as text anyway. So okay. it's kind of swings and roundabouts. But also the other thing to bear in mind is you. Because Google are very, you know, they're, they're into assistive technology and things like that. If you send something out, something out that can't be easily read by a screen reader for people who can't see and things like that, they're also going to penalise you for that. So I would say, you know, don't send images, so don't send text disguised as an image. It's always better, like you said, to always have have the text in there as much as possible. But going back to links, then the other thing that really matters here is that if you've got lots of links, again, it's going to look more like a promotion. But the other thing is the reputation of every link that you include in an email or if you even mention the name of a domain in your email will mean that if any of those domains that you're linking to or mentioning are on a block list um, then again that email may go to spam so social media is a perfect example of this we've talked about having the icons in your signature too many images links to all these different places too many links but also um, there's a, the, the, the main tool that I use to check block lists is called Hetrix Tools. And every time I go into Hetrix Tools, I will put YouTube.com in there as an example to see what's happening. And I'd say about one in three times I look up YouTube on the block list, then YouTube is listed somewhere. And the reason is every time someone sends out a video to someone, if they don't like that video, they might hit the spam button and it ends up back on the block list. So the moral there is don't ever include links to content where you don't have control directly over the domain that you're linking to. So if you want a video on YouTube, embed it on your website and then link to your website. Don't send them straight off to YouTube or something like that. Got it. And I mean, my point of view on that has always been, firstly, no one clicks them because they're in the footer. Absolutely. No, no one clicks them. And secondly, anyone who does click them, 
is going away from where you want them to go anyway. Absolutely. That's the big thing. Um, you know, your email has got a strong, clear call to action. Why on earth would you want to distract someone and send them off to your Instagram feed or something like yeah. that? So absolutely. You know, first rule of marketing, be clear on what you want people to do. Don't distract them. Yeah. So but that's, line, rip, rip, out, rip out those little social links. Yeah, but that, that's really interesting. I didn't know that, actually. So if you link to... So, sorry, just to confirm, what you're saying is I send out an email with my latest YouTube video. Yeah. Someone reports that as spam because they've decided they no longer want to hear from me. Or for some reason, it's the first time they've actually noticed my email for a while. They don't know who I am. They hit it as spam. Google then sees that and goes, the email that that was reported as spam contains a YouTube link. Therefore, downgrade YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and, and it's interesting because bearing in mind that Google owns YouTube, I have seen emails from YouTube end up in spam on Google. So it yeah. just goes to show there's all kinds of crazy things happen. That's so, really you know, be very careful. Oh, and also that's why you never ever use a link shortener like bit.ly because guess what? That's what the spammers use as well. And that is always on the block lists. So, you know, use, use the functionality that an email marketing platform will give you where you can, where, where you can put any link you want behind text. So, it doesn't really you don't need to use a link yep. shortener simple as that yeah exactly cool um, interesting. so very quickly uh, in content the f in wilf is frequency and what we're talking about here is the more frequently you can send your emails with one caveat which is you send them to the people who want them um, and you send them to the people that have demonstrated they still want them but the higher the frequency you send the better the results that you will get and i've had so many objections from people over the years saying yeah but people don't want to hear from me all that often they might not want my emails if they, if they don't want as many emails as you can send them, in most cases, they're probably not your ideal client or customer. If they, if you're sending out valuable content all the time, then they should want to receive it. And you want to polarize yourself to the point where if they don't like it, they're going to unsubscribe. Because when I get to engagement in a second, then it's really, really important that we're only sending emails to the right people. And if the higher the frequency, bottom line is, the more likely more people are going to see those emails because nobody opens everything. Yep. If you send one email a month, it's going to take you the best part of a year to reach, to reach 70% of your audience. I sent an email every single day in February of this year and I reached 75% of my audience in that month because even though I was only getting maybe 30 to 35% open rates at that point, there was enough overlap that someone was opening <clears throat> at least one of those emails up to the, up to the three quarters of my list. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the big the pushback, it seems to always be because the emails people are sending out are always, here's a bunch of products. Yeah. And so they say, well, no one no one's going to want this email every day. And it's, well, yeah, that's, that's right. No one wants that email every day. But I'm sure you could put something together to provide value to them on a daily basis. Absolutely. Because e- emails are not to sell. Emails are to educate, to entertain, to inform, to add value. Sure, you can then follow through with offers. And in February, every single email I sent had a little offer as a PS in the email. But it was starting with a story, then segueing into a bit of education. And only at the end, there was an offer. So as long as you've got that balance right and you're not burning your list with offers every single day, then absolutely send as much as you can because I had never received as many responses to emails saying how much they loved what I was sending as when I sent something every day. So, you know, if you, if you could, if you've got the resources to do that, absolutely do it because the higher the frequency, the better with very few exceptions. 
And just regarding frequency, um, if maybe you're struggling to put together the content to send to someone daily, does it still have the same impact if you were uh, sending to different people, but on a daily basis? So I don't know, maybe if you've got just, well, enough numbers for it, but you're getting enough people filling in a a a lead gen form or something. Yeah. Asking to hear about this content, but it means that you're sending, let's say, 100 emails a day, but each person is receiving an email every week, maybe. Yeah. Does that still have the same impact? Not really, because... I'm assuming ideally you'd want... Ideally, you want everyone to receive it every day. Yeah, but- absolutely. Because what, what they're looking at really is it's just it's the number of emails that each individual person sees because there's there's going to be an algorithm somewhere that has, on average, someone has to receive X many emails from you before they will open one. Um, yep. So, I, in fact, that's an interesting stat that I should try and pull out of my list somehow uh, and I should maybe modify my software to do that because what I did look at was, um, you know, as, I, as I said, 75% of my audience opened something in that month, but it was something like 15% of my audience opened every single email that month. Um, but what what I didn't look at was what's the average number of emails you have to wait before they open something. But I would say, you know, it could be two, three, five emails, and they're going to if they're going to open every fifth email you send, you've got to send quite a few emails to them. Yeah. Um, and if it's every tenth email, then obviously you've got to send a lot more. So yeah. I would say, in an ideal world, then you know, as soon as you can, just ramp up the content that you send to everybody. Cool. Yep. Sounds <clears> good. Perfect. Um, e. Okay, E for engagement. So first off, quickly, what is engagement? Um, Simple answer is it's someone interacting in some way with your email, starting with opening it, and then even better, they might reply, they might click a link, they they might file it somewhere. If it landed in the spam folder, we really want them to rescue it from the spam folder. I can't emphasize this strongly enough because one of the worst signs of disengagement is if your email goes into the spam folder and stays there. Yep. Let's you know we've got to be very honest about this. There's a fair chance that even you know I'm meant to be an email deliverability expert. There's probably a one in five chance that when someone signs up to my mailing list, the first email that I send out might still go to spam. So it's up to me to educate that person very clearly when they sign up for my list. I give them the thank you page. I say please go to the spam folder, and if it's there, make sure you rescue it from the spam folder, drag it into your inbox, and mark it as safe. Because if not, every single email that goes out after that will end up in the spam folder so that's a really important thing to do make sure you're educating your audience i feel like i shouldn't admit this to you because of what you said earlier i do still have a hotmail account um it's it's one i've had for a long time and it is a it's not a throwaway account for me but it's where i'm I'm your your number two account right where the things that you're not quite so interested in go to it's if I'm going to sign up for a, if I'm going to sign up for an ebook or whatever, I put that email address in. Yeah. Because I don't want my main inbox uh, full of those emails. Anyway, Microsoft. The amount of times I hit not junk on an email, and a bit later it pops back into there. Yeah. Does does um, bother me a bit. But Microsoft do my head in there because I, I have found that as a marketer, Microsoft is the hardest mailbox provider to deliver to. Google is a walk in the park. They seem to get the spam versus not spam right 
a big proportion of the time. But Microsoft, they are just so aggressive when it comes to email marketing. I don't know if it's their corporate history or something like that, where they've just worked with a lot of corporates, but they really hate marketers. They make it much harder to get into the inbox and you do have a much tougher job. Um, obviously, as marketers, we can't control what email, what mailbox platform our audience use. We just have to be very, we have to be aware that Microsoft probably make it most difficult out of all of the providers to get there. Um, okay. And sometimes that, that, that can run to the extent where you have a personalized thing on the thank you page that recognizes it's a Microsoft address and says, hey, you need to go and do this extra step to make sure you really get the email because it can be very difficult. Interestingly, everyone does that for Google. Yeah. Always that thing which says, if we land in a promotion, I think it's if we land in a promotions tab, could you please mark us not promotion or whatever? Uh, no one does it for Hotmail. No, exactly. No one, no one bothers. You know, it could outlook. still be 10, 15, even 20% of a list. So if your audience has got a lot of Microsoft people, absolutely do that and say, make sure you do it. Because that's the, you know, the positive engagement matters, but leaving things to languish in spam, that's even worse. But if we get back to engagement, I've talked about what it is. So the most important thing here now is we must manage our engagement. This is the second biggest thing. Um, we talked about authentication. That's a one-off. Engagement, though, this is how you've got to change your mindset forever. Um, because if you keep doing things the old way by not managing your engagement, this is why you're going to end up in the spam folder more and more frequently. So that's what matters here. And what's happening with this is if you imagine... Most of the mailboxes out there are free. And the way that Google makes their money is they display an advert every time someone opens an email. So it's no surprise they're going to reward the people that send emails out that get opened a lot more than the people who send out emails that don't. So if you're getting a 40 or a 50% open rate, Google will love you. If you're getting a 3% open rate, then guess what? Google will think that you're not very good and they're also not going to make any money out of you. So this is why you should only send emails to the people that are most likely to open them. And unsurprisingly, the people that are most likely to open them are the ones that open something recently. So what I would normally do is I would say that you send the majority of your emails to the people that have opened something in the last 30 days. And you certainly don't go beyond 90 days. If you start sending people further back than that, you're going to see fairly bad results. And I can actually quote the latest email broadcast I sent to my list. Um, it went out this morning in the end. Um, it should have been yesterday. That's another story. But I've got, um, let me have a quick look at the very latest numbers because it's actually been going up all the time. Um, where are we? So here we go. So to the, to the most engaged part of my list, the people that have opened something in the last 30 days, I have so far got to a 50% open rate with that segment of my audience. And I only sent it, um, what, 11 hours ago. So in the first 11 hours, I've hit 50%. So that's that's pretty good. I mean, everyone's going to like a 50% open rate. Then I sent another segment to the people that opened something between 30 and 90 days ago, and I've got a 23% open rate there. So even that's fairly fairly respectable. Then, and I didn't go further back than a year. I went between 90 days and one year ago, and I sent to those people, and I've got a 4% open rate. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. If I sense... So that was in my case, that's about 500 odd people. If I sent to those 500 people every time I sent an email out, it would reduce the average open rate of the entire audience down by about 15%. I'd go down to maybe if I was lucky, I'd get a 25%, 30% open rate, something like that. And the lower your open rate, then the lower your reputation is going to go. So that's the important thing here. And 
a lot of people don't realize how important that is. The biggest objection that I get when I ask people to start pruning old dead email addresses from their list is they say, yeah, but out of that 4%, maybe one or two people might buy something. And yes, they absolutely might. But do you really want to risk losing 10% of your hottest, warmest part of your audience by continuing to focus on all the dead people? Yep. It seems like crazy. So this is this is the thing. You've got a you know, second terrible joke coming in, I'm afraid. You've got to watch the Frozen move, movie, listen to the song, let it go. There's just there's no point mailing the people that don't want to hear from you. I think it's Einstein, isn't it? He's got the definition of insanity, doing the same thing and expecting different results. If you yeah. keep emailing people that don't open anything, guess what? Most of them still won't open something. So stop it. Focus on the people that have opened recently because they're the ones that are going to help your reputation. They're the ones that will actually buy stuff from you. And the important thing there is what I call the virtuous circle because obviously the higher your open rates – Bear in mind that if we let go of half of our mailing list that hasn't opened anything for a while, yes, the open rate will double, but the number of people opening things stays the same. So it's a bit of a kind of maths trick at this point. But if you've doubled your open rate and Google suddenly starts to love you a lot more, then the next emails you send will have a better chance of landing in the inbox. And the people that then sign up to your list from your paid Facebook ads or something like that will be maybe twice as likely to open something. So you'll find that the long-term impact is that you will get more real people seeing and opening those emails and that $5,000 a month you're spending on your Facebook ads instead of 40% of those people engaging you'll find that 80% of those people now engage so the bad news is a lot of people spending thousands of dollars a month on Facebook if they're not managing their engagement already they're burning a lot of money so this is why you've really got to wake up smell the coffee and realize that if you don't manage your engagement you're going to be wasting a lot of money and you won't be reaching all those people and this is the mindset shift if you haven't done it already you've really got to make that change take a leap of faith because it is a leap of faith letting go of all these people on your list and just focus on the people that want to hear from you that's the important thing okay uh anything more you want to add to that because i've got we're we're a bit short in time and i still want to ask you no that's no i could over egg the pudding but i won't let's jump straight on excellent so apple oh Uh, (coughs) I, i haven't looked into this too much yet but i've heard a few things um do you want to tell us a bit about what they've kind of Okay. Like said, and, and what the impact of that will be. So iOS 15, they're going to make the default behavior that Apple will block the pixels that track email opens, which means that anyone opening an email that you send to them using Apple Mail, then you will not know they've opened that email anymore. So... Really, the the good news is not too many people use Apple. That's not going to upset your statistics to start with, but it's very likely that other people will start doing the same thing and you will find that the tracking of your email opens becomes less and less accurate. It's not that good already. So what that means is it's really important, even more than ever now, to make sure you are focusing on people clicking the links in your emails. You've got to make sure every email you send has got a really compelling reason to click something and learn more, buy something, watch a video, whatever it is click or reply yeah so replying is an interesting one because that doesn't necessarily get fed back to your email platform whereas if if they're clicking the link then that will appear in the statistics Mm -hmm. so replying is still a really good demonstration of engagement but you won't necessarily see it inside your MailChimp platform or whatever so the click is the most important thing going forward and it's really a mindset shift and if you start doing that now and really focus on those clicks people have always said that open rates are a vanity metric and I agree to a certain extent 
the you, you shouldn't compare your open rates with anyone else but you should see is the rate going up or down if you see things going up you're doing well if it's going down you're not doing so well although if apple suddenly block everything your rate will go down overnight when when the ios 15 rollout happens so start looking a lot more at the clicks because maybe a year from now two years from now the open rate might be instead of being 90 percent accurate it might only be 20 percent accurate so we've got to be ready for that um you know apple often you know apple google microsoft they will all sometimes do something and everyone else will copy so if that happens this time around if google does the same thing then yeah, at that point, suddenly 50% of your opens stop getting reported. So it's potentially very important and it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. And it's a good reason why you must, must focus on call to action and having clicks in your links to click on in your email. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it just comes back to engagement really, doesn't it? You want people to engage with those emails because if they open it and do nothing with it, all right, it's nice that they've opened it, but it's still, you know... If someone opens every email from you every week but never buys anything, you could see why that's not necessarily a good customer. Yeah, absolutely. They bought you know, if, if they're not um, even clicking on a link, if, if someone hasn't clicked a single link in six months, then are they really going to click on the buy now button that you send them next week? Probably not. So yeah. it might reach the point where we just ditch people just for not clicking. And I know some marketers that already do that and they have great results. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, change because uh, I do know there are people who they tend to be more in the marketing coaching sort of space um, yep. where they won't have those call to actions in their emails because they will put the inf- all the information in the email. You know, they'll put the whole blog post or uh, it tends to be Facebook post actually. They, they will basically put their Facebook post in the email, yep. say, there you go, read it because they're looking for high open rates and that's it. They will have to change their. Yeah, very much so. Bit, I've, I've said for a long time, put a little teaser in the email, you know, get them curious enough they want to click on that link, and then they click through, and you've got you, you've you've recorded it. And also, they're getting into the habit of clicking the link. So when you do make an offer, they're already used to clicking through things and finding out more. Yep. Oh, excellent. That makes it sound a lot less scary, I think. Cool. Um, so yeah, that's good. Um, so just finally, then before we go. Do you, do you have any pet peeves as a consumer in marketing? I think the worst thing is seeing people add me to their mailing list without permission. Um, you know, the, yeah. the, the best example of that recently was um, I got a personal email from a, from a B2B company that wanted to offer me their services. I replied with a polite no thank you. Then a week later, I started getting their flipping marketing mails. Yeah, I've, I've oh, had that. Yeah, I've had that like, recently. Yeah, it's same, exact same situation. I re- it was a, 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 I don't think it was a cold email necessarily. I think I'd been to a webinar or something that they hosted, so I let them off for that. But yeah, I, I think I responded saying, "No, I'm all right, thanks. It's not not for me." And yeah. and somehow a, a few days later, that first email popped in, and I thought, "Hang on a minute." Yeah, I didn't. Absolutely. It, it's, not it's not cool. This. It's not cool because at the end of the day, I wasn't interested. I'm not going to open their emails. They're just shooting themselves in the foot because they're hurting their reputation by putting yet another sucker onto the list who's never going to open. Yeah. Why, why would you do it? It's just, it's just crazy. So that, that's probably my biggest one. 
And then probably the other one, going back to what you mentioned earlier, is just the fact that a lot of the email marketing platforms, they don't tell you some of these very, very simple things that you need to do to maximize the chance of getting into the inbox. This is why I've become so passionate about getting my information out there because I'm not bothered who buys my stuff. You know, I'm not bothered how many people hire me as a consultant or use my software or anything like that. The only thing I care about is just getting enough people to be heard more through email because people need to know how, how important this stuff is and the impact it's going to make. That's, that's my, my biggest thing is just that the message is not out there enough. Yeah, that's a really strange one. No. Um, actually, I do have one more question, little bonus question, I suppose, uh, which people might not find interesting. Right, GDPR. Um, I know that immediately makes it sound like a boring topic, but I've had this conversation a few times. My view is if you have a lead generation form, let's say a newsletter pop-up, asking someone to submit their email address in exchange for a code or whatever. My view is you do not need to have that checkbox saying, I opt in to hear about your marketing list, whatever. Because my view is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I had this confirmed at a company I used to work out when we went through GDPR, the act of submitting their email to receive your newsletter and that discount is the consent. That's, that is the opt-in. Yep. And it's a, you know, so I will preface this by saying I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. If you go to yep. jail following my <laughs> advice, then sorry, you should have got legal advice. Um, but what I have observed is a lot of people, they will use the concept of legitimate interest rather than the fact that someone has opted in to send something. So, and they can say they have got legitimate interest to promote something because they have already requested some kind of marketing code or something like that. So what I see people do is absolutely like you say, they don't in general have a checkbox because they might say by filling in this form we're going to send you xyz or something like that but even if they haven't got that then a lot of people have said that legitimate interest is the way to do it and you know i i i haven't seen anyone yet get into trouble for doing that but i'm not going to go and tell people to do this because you know um i, I can't give away, away legal advice and i'm not yeah. really responsible by for someone getting a a million pound fine by the ico so you know be very careful yeah. but again be pragmatic. I think that's the most important thing because the ICO doesn't want to stop all the different businesses out there from, from marketing because they go under. So yeah. there's, there's a balancing act. Yeah, I mean, I, I would always say double-check it with a lawyer. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember the, the conversations we were having um, back when I was in, in gaming was if someone is specifically taking that action yeah. to request the newsletter, for example, mm-hmm. then you don't need the checkbox because the act of putting their email address in and clicking submit is the opt-in. Yeah. Because that's actually the only thing they're doing on that form. They're just opting in. Um, And I really want to start testing this a bit more with people to see what the impact of that checkbox is. But I'm having a little trouble with people saying, nope, GDPR reasons we have to do it. So yeah, I think there's 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 two schools. There's there's at least two schools of thought. There's the people that are paranoid and will do the will implement the letter of the law, and they're the ones that will probably lose the most people. And there's the ones that are a bit more pragmatic and say, well, I'm I'm going to carry on doing it this way because I think I can do it for this reason. And they probably haven't been affected that much. But again, it depends on people's attitude to risk as much as also if they are legitimate and they're sending at least relatively proper campaigns, even if it is just a promo blast each week, that's, they're going to be fine. I think, um, again, not legal advice, but as long as you're a genuine company and you don't just spam people, 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the usual. It's the usual. You know, it's the eleventh commandment, isn't it? Thou shalt not be an idiot. And as long as you don't do stupid things, then you're normally going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. It's been really, really great stuff. Um, I'm gutted that we've run out of time because I think there's uh, you've got so much more information you could share. Um, if people do want to find out more, what's the best way of getting in touch? So the best thing, um, I've got a very simple PDF checklist that will t- takes you through the most important parts of the race framework, and you can get that by going to deliverability-dashboard.com slash checklist. Um, there's also an email health check. If you're using one of the most the various most popular email marketing platforms, you can go to emailhealthcheck.net and sign up for that. Um, and then I can also be contacted, facebook.com slash Adrian Savage. Um, I'm always happy to point people in the right direction if they need any particular advice or you know help further if i can awesome great stuff thank you so much absolute pleasure will thanks for inviting me on great stuff there from adrian it's so important to take all of this into account if you want to be successful at running email programs far too often i see companies just doing a basic setup and then blasting out emails on a regular basis hoping for a one to two percent conversion rate it's simply not good enough Reputation, authentication, content, and engagement. are the, These are the four key things you need to be constantly checking. Make sure your setup is all correct. Make sure you're cleaning your list regularly. Make sure your content in your emails is high quality, ideally personalized in some way, even if it's just segment-based rather than one-to-one, and that it's engaging. If you get these right, you'll see a much higher impact from your email marketing, whether it's signups, downloads, or the all-important purchase. If you'd like to find out more, you can contact Adrian on LinkedIn or head over to emailhealthcheck.net. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclip.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, we've got Shane Ostry joining me. We're going to be talking about iOS 14 and the impact it's having. But until then, keep those customers clicking.